Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks, uh, Barry and team. That was awesome. I, I love throwback Sundays, flashback Sunday, Sundays. That's, that's a great song, uh, Blast from the Past. Um, I'm excited about today. I am excited about today, and let me tell you why. It is my, and well, not just mine, but Fran and my 29th wedding anniversary today. Thank you. I'm excited that you're excited about that. That's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited about that for a few reasons. The first reason is I'm excited that she said yes. I'm still excited about that. And I'm excited also that I have officially outlasted all the predictions. <laughs> I have, as of this year, I am beyond everybody's expectations. So oh, oh, that's just a good thing. And most, most the, the thing that I'm excited about is that I remembered the date. So, uh, you know, that's a good sign. At my age, if I can keep that straight, that's a good deal. I actually helped my, my cousin. I was able to, uh, i got to think about how to say this. I was going to say I was, I was able to marry my cousin yesterday. That would be awkward. I was able to perform the ceremony for my cousin's marriage yesterday. And so now I've got her anniversary ahead of mine. That'll be a trigger for me. So hopefully that'll help going forward. I'm also excited about the fact that we're in this series on uh, prayers of biblical proportion. And I want to submit to you that my 29th wedding anniversary is actually an indication, evidence, it's, it's maybe even proof that prayer does avail much. So as we're going into this series, I hope that you're enjoying it. I've been, I've been just loving this series. I don't know about you, but I've been loving it. And I hope that you're enjoying it too. It's been so cool just to be looking at different prayers throughout Scripture and the things that we can learn from them. We started off in week one. Gord was talking to us about prayer as incense and our prayers being received by God as incense as, as we pray them. And then from there we went on and we looked at Jesus' prayer at, in Gethsemane uh, the day before his, his uh, crucifixion. We, we looked at Paul's prayer in Ephesians we looked at Job's prayer. Last week we looked at Jonah's prayer. And this morning we're going to be looking at David's prayer of confession in Psalm 51. So as we come to Psalm 51 this morning, and if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up to that. It'll be on the screen otherwise. But just before we get into the psalm itself, just as we come to the psalm, it helps us to, to know some things, a little bit of background as we come to it. And particularly, it helps us to know the impetus behind the psalm itself. So some of you might have a heading in your Bibles above Psalm 51 that says something or other along the lines of, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, 
there's a prologue to a psalm if you ever had one. And Bruce seems to think that we are picking on him with some of the dates that we give him to speak on. I'm speaking on David's adultery on my anniversary. Okay, so I just want to say that I take a few shots for the team too, okay? All right, just so we get that established. All right, so you'll remember that the account of David's um, uh, adultery with Bathsheba is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And that said, with that understanding of the background here, nowhere in Psalm 51 does David specifically refer to that specific incident, which is not to try and take away the validity of that as the impetus for the psalm, but we, we recognize that it is not referred to by David specifically as the impetus. And so what we need to understand from that, again, is that, not, that we're not drawing that into question so much as we need to understand that this is a general lament. That impetus, that event, served as the instigation for this psalm in David's life, and he's written now this psalm out as a general lament to God. And therefore, it serves as a model for you and I today in our confession of our own sin to God. So he's written it generally so that it can apply to us. It applied to the people that he was writing it to, the children of Israel then. They could read that psalm. They could see how David dealt with his sin. And you and I can take a look at that today, and we can use that as a model for how we should address our sin before God. So let's keep that just in mind. Now, a few weeks back, as we were talking about understanding God's answers in prayer, you might recall that I mentioned that it's always God's first priority to deal with sin in our lives. Because sin distances us. It separates us from God. So when there's sin in our lives, regardless of what we might be concerned about, God is focused on dealing with that sin in our lives. He wants to remedy that. He wants to clear that up. He wants to get that dealt with so that then He can carry on with us and move us on in our relationship with Him. And so, sin creates a barrier. But we tend not to see that this way, do we? We we don't see sin as something of a hurdle between us and God. We've kind of downplayed sin in our lives so that it's not a big thing. And we don't recognize the significance that it has. And you'll recall from the account in Samuel that this was the case with David as well. He's been ignoring this sin of his adultery with Bathsheba for nine months. Because Bathsheba has now had a baby that came from that adultery. So it's nine months later, and David hasn't been addressing it. And finally God says, Nathan, I'm sending you, the prophet Nathan, to David to get down to some brass tacks about this because David's been ignoring it. So David hadn't dealt with the issue. God sends Nathan, and what Nathan does is he arrives to to David is he presents David with this scenario. And he asks David for his verdict on what should be done in this this scenario. I don't tell you the whole thing. If you haven't read the account before, go back and read it. It's it's good. It's important to, to understand. So David 
pronounces his verdict. And then it's kind of a trick because Nathan then says, well, dude, you're the guy. You've just pronounced verdict on yourself. And so it's interesting. David understood the scenario that Nathan presented to him, and he pronounced the appropriate verdict, but he was indicting himself in that. And at that point then, at that point, David recognizes his sin. So interestingly, at that point, Nathan tells David that God has taken away his sin. That that's already done. But that does not assuage David's spirit. He's still full of remorse. And so Psalm 51 then is how David works out his remorse before God concerning his sin. All of which to say then, in David's response, we firstly get a picture, if you will, of the significance of sin. That's the first thing that we're drawn to as we come to this Psalm, Psalm 51. The significance of sin. So we need to take note of that this morning. And from there then, understanding the significance of sin, then we need to allow that to inform us today, you and I today, as to our view of sin, and then secondly then, how we address it with God. So Psalm 51 should speak into yours and my life today about how we view sin, and then how we pursue that and address it with God. Okay, so with that then sort of as the background, if you will, let's dive in and look at the psalm itself. But before we do, let's just pray and ask God to come and help us process it this morning. Father, again today we commit this time once more to you. We ask that you would use it for our benefit, that you would redeem us through this psalm, that we would understand you better, that we would know you more, that we would follow you more closely. And we pray that, Lord, every week. I pray that we pray it every day. That day by day we would be drawing closer to you, that we'd be, we would be changing as your people more into the likeness of your Son. And so, by your Spirit now, work in our hearts and our minds, open our eyes, speak to us, Lord, so that we would follow you. And I pray these things now in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. All right. First of all, this morning, let's look at David's conviction of sin. And we're going to see that in the first two verses of Psalm 51. David's conviction of sin. He starts off, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now right from the outset, right from the very get-go of the psalm, we see David say, have mercy on me, O God. That's how he comes into this psalm. And by which we need to recognize that David right at the very beginning, is taking ownership of his sin. When he says, have mercy on me, mercy is a term of surrender. 
So he is not here justifying. He's not here rationalizing what's happened. He's not trying to somehow excuse himself before God. He is throwing himself at the mercy of God because he recognizes his sin. So he's been convicted of it. And as he's convicted of it, then he comes before God and he owns it. This morning... We need to learn to own our sin. We are so good at rationalizing and justifying and blaming others of deflecting. We're trying to be Teflon all the time. It's not really my fault. You can't blame me. There's someone, some other extenuating circumstance. That was, that was the problem. David's pointed out to us this morning, we need to own our sin. It's ours and we have to deal with it. But next, we see that David recognizes God's character. As he owns his sin, as his remorse comes out, it's followed right on the heels then by his recognition of God's character. This morning, we need to understand that too. David knows that it's by God's grace alone that forgiveness is available to us. It's because of God's unfailing love for us and his great compassion that we can come to him with our sin, that we can own our sin before him, but we can do that optimistically, if you will, knowing that forgiveness is available from God today. And that as we come to God with our sin, that we're not coming to Him just with the recognition of justice, but rather that we're coming to Him with the recognition of forgiveness because of who He is. His great love, His compassion for us. So we come to Him with our sin And we should come to him with shame. That's a a word I think that sometimes we've lost track of in our society today. We feel no shame. We don't think that that um, uh, that there's anything that should sort of look or reflect badly on us. We should be ashamed of our sin, for sure. But we don't come to him. We don't come to God under that cloud, if you will. We come to address it. We come with remorse. But we come to him with optimism, recognizing that he's there to forgive us. What's more, what we see here in David's confession right at the beginning is that he recognizes also that sin is not just an outward action beyond himself. Okay? The impetus was his adultery with Bathsheba here. That's an outward action. But as David reflects on it, he comes and recognizes that that sin stemmed from his inner self. That his sin emanated out of his being, if you will. That he has an inner flaw. And then sin has to be addressed on that level. That we have to not just deal with the outer action, 
but our hearts that precipitate the outer action. And so as David comes to God, he says, cleanse me of my sin. Clearly, here, David is not confident that animal sacrifice is sufficient. Now, this is a little bit of a detour into the Old Testament sacrificial system. And David isn't trying to undermine the sacrificial system. But already in David, we're seeing a sense that he knows that animal sacrifice can't address fully the problem of his inner self. The inner issue in his life. And so I think this would have been fascinating for his readers in that day. Because they would have been looking at this and kind of trying to comprehend. Like, where are you going with this, David? Because we have the law. We have the sacrificial system. That's how we deal with our sin. Is through these sacrifices. But David is pointing to something beyond that that needs to happen. Something more than that can be accomplished there. That he needs to be washed. That he needs to be cleansed. That somehow his sin needs to be blotted out. For you and I today, we have the advantage of knowing that what was necessary was Jesus. What was necessary was that Jesus would come and that he would pay that sin. That he would be the sacrifice for our sin. That he would take the consequence of yours and my sin on him so that he could pay it. And so that then he could then restore us. That God would, could work through him into our lives and restore us and build us into the people that he wants us to be. Blotting out our sin. Raising us up into his children. So this morning, as we come to confess our sin before God, we do well to keep in mind that it is, it is our sin every bit as much as it was David's sin that, de that demanded Jesus Christ die for us. And as we understand that, as we're convicted of our sin, we see the consequence of our sin, which was Christ's death on our behalf. Secondly, this morning, we see then David's confession of his sin in verses 3 to 6. There he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. We have this idea sometimes today that children are innocent. And it's this life that corrupts us. No, unfortunately untrue right from the outset right from the get-go we are sinful people and God desires us to be perfect even from the womb his standard is perfection so we need to understand that but remember here in this 
psalm, this is a general lament, meant to serve as a model to follow. So David doesn't identify his sin specifically. He says, I know my sin. So before God, he's addressing it. He's saying, I know it, you know it, we know it. But for you and I today, it's open so that we can again use this as a model. And we'll see later that David does know his sin. And he addresses it a little bit more specifically, I think in verse 14 coming up. So this morning, as we come to God and as we confess our sin, and as we see David giving us this model, then we need to understand that we need to address our sin, that we need to confess our sin specifically before God. We don't tend to do that, do we? We tend to generalize. But this morning, David is telling us that we have to identify and we have to address our sins specifically with God. And you say, well, this morning, that's easy for David. Like, I mean, he committed adultery. Like, I mean, that's huge. You would know that. You would, you'd remember that. I don't do anything nearly like that. My sins are little. I don't even know if I remember all of my sins. My sins are just small. So you're asking me to identify them and address them specifically. How do I do that? They're just little sins. But listen to what J.I. Packer says, and this is so good for us to remember too. J.I. Packer says, there are no small sins against a great God. This morning, we can't sit here and we can't rationalize our sin. Our little sins are great sins against a great God. Which is again to say that sin is significant. It is important. It has to be dealt with by us today. We can't ignore it. We can't glaze over it. We need to name it. We want to generalize. And in so doing, we minimize. And so we don't take our sins seriously. We don't take the steps necessary to overcome it, to address it, to deal with it. So as we see David speaking into our lives today through this psalm, we need to understand he's calling us to confess our sins specifically. Name it before God. Some things that happen when we get serious on that level. First of all, number one, it helps us to focus on what we're actually trying to overcome in our lives. When I talk about God forgiving me for my sins, it's kind of like flock shooting when you're out hunting. They teach it in the Air Force too, apparently. You know when you're out duck hunting though, guys, hunting? You see a bunch of ducks coming over, there's a whole bunch of them. You think, oh, I can't help but hit something, so I just shoot. And of course, nothing happens. And then you think you're a really bad shot, and you are. When you're hunting, even when there's a big flock of all kinds of them coming over, you pick a specific one to shoot at. And you aim at that. As we get specific about our sin, then we name it, then we understand we're focused on it. We're addressing it specifically. Then I can't kind of generalize, I can't forget it. I know that I'm addressing that with God. And as I go into the rest of my day, the next day of my life, the next week of my life, the, next, the rest of my life, I know that I'm addressing that sin with God. I'm trying to overcome that thing specifically in my life. Second thing that happens here, or that 
it indicates as we get serious and get specific. It indicates true, rep re true rep repentance. When we're serious enough to identify our sin, then that's a sign that we're serious enough to begin to deal with our sin with God or allow Him to deal with that in our lives. Because we've recognized that whatever that sin is, is a problem. So we need to do that. Third thing, it allows us then to go to God specifically for help on that level with whatever that issue is. So this morning, David's telling us to be specific so that then we can recognize the benefits that come from being specific in our sin and the way that we address that. We are wise not to generalize. Please forgive me for my sin and help me stay away from sin tomorrow. Go deeper. Forgive me for lying. Forgive me for lusting. Forgive me for gossiping. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for judging. Forgive me for my negative judgmental attitude. Forgive me for a bitter spirit. Name it and begin to address it with God and seek his help. Now this morning, in this section, we need to talk briefly about verse 4, where David says, against you only have I sinned. Now, we know that from elsewhere in Scripture that we can sin against more than just God. We can sin against others. And we see that in 2 Chronicles 6.22. We also know that we can sin against ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, it tells us that. So David isn't ignorant of that, those facts. What he's doing is here, here is he's just going simply straight to the heart of the matter. Because all sin and every sin is against God. It's always against God. And listen to Joseph in Genesis 39.9 as he, as he speaks about um, uh, Potiphar's wife who's trying to seduce him. And he says to her, there's no one greater in this house than I. And he, Potiphar's husband, or Potiphar's, Potiphar, has, given, uh, has withheld nothing from me except you, Potiphar's wife, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? So he sees that well, it would be sin against Potiphar. It would be sin against himself. But his immediate concern, his biggest concern, is that it is sin against God. So David's in the same place here. He's recognizing that he has sinned against Uriah. He's sinned against Bathsheba. He's sinned against himself. But he's also sinned against God, and he goes to God on that level. So just keep that in mind. He's not trying to ignore things. He's not trying to, again, sort of gloss over it. He's dealing with it directly with God. Carry, carrying on, Thirdly, we need to understand David's request for restoration. So his conviction, his confession, and now his request for restoration. Cleanse me with hyssop, verse 7, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I almost want to try and sing, but you don't deserve that. Reminds me of a song. Anyway, restore to me the joy of your salvation and, re- and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Two things quickly in this section. First, as David asks for God to cleanse him and create in him a pure heart, there is a sense here of already and not yet. Okay, so as we go to God and ask for forgiveness, that's granted to us. Done deal. It's immediate. His forgiveness comes right away. But as we ask him then to renew us, cleanse us, restore us, then there is a sense here of not completely. There's a sense here of time and process in the words that David's using. So we need to understand from that that not always does God just deal with that sin completely and eradicate it in our lives. Sometimes he does. Sometimes we'll go to him and confess an addiction or whatever, and he'll just step in and remove it. And we can walk away never having that same challenge, that same issue in our lives again. But oftentimes, it's a process. That renewal is a process in our lives where God works on us and he's helping us to overcome that. And it takes time. So from that then this morning, we need to understand that as we pray to God and seek his forgiveness and his restoration in our lives, it's not usually one prayer and done. That this is something that we're going to go back to and address with God on a continuing basis for a while as he lifts us up out of that sin. Secondly, though, in this section, we need to note this as well. And this is so important. As David is appealing to God here for restoration, as he's appealing to God to renew a steadfast spirit in him, as he appeals to God to restore unto him the joy of God's salvation. Then we have confidence here that God does indeed forgive us and restore us. We don't have to question that. Because what David is appealing for here is a return to these things. Okay? This isn't his first request with regard to God dealing with him and helping him overcome sin in his life. So David has had the joy of God's salvation before. He's had a steadfast spirit before. It's been derailed by this sin of adultery. And now he's asking God to renew and restore these things. So we have confidence today that God does forgive us. That he will forgive us. That he will return us to that place. That he will grow us into those people that have that confidence, that spirit, steadfast spirit, 
that joy of our salvation, God's salvation in our lives. Therefore, when we sincerely repent and seek God's forgiveness, we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that that has been given to us. John 1, 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if we, are, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This morning, maybe you're here and you are carrying sin from way back in your life. Maybe it's from when you were a child. Maybe it's from years ago and you're still living under the shadow and the weight of that sin, not confident that God has heard your prayer for forgiveness, not confident that He is restoring you and renewing you and moving you out of that and pushing past that. You need to understand this morning that as you repent sincerely before God, that is gone from His mind. You have been granted forgiveness. You don't have to carry the weight of that anymore. And I don't care what that is. As significant, as as horrendous as it might have been, that has been erased for you by God. He doesn't recall it. You don't need to either. Move forward. Be confident. Grow. Trust. Regain that steadfast spirit. It's yours there. It's there for the taking. God's granted it to you. Don't live in that prison any longer. Lastly, this morning, we see David's rededication. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. After he's been restored... David comes to this. He says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. There we go. Okay, see? David again. He's pointing. He's remembering. He knows what he did. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, And my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. With God's forgiveness, David anticipates being able to re-engage and be effective once more in his worship and service to God. Now, here quickly, just file away in the back of your heads, that David isn't advocating for the violation of the law here. He's not advocating, he's not looking for a wholesale turnover of the law. As he's saying that, God doesn't desire sacrifice. He's just pointing to the fact that what God really desires 
is a committed heart to him. That our sacrifice should be an indication of our hearts. So he's not just trying to create some new religious order. He's not trying to throw over the law that Moses had brought in. But he's pointing beyond it to what the law was supposed to be identifying for the people then that we can understand now. The sacrifice doesn't just solve the problem. It's about our hearts. It's about the inside. My heart of hearts, what's motivating me, who I really am inside. And at that level then, God wants people that are committed to him, whose hearts are devoted to him. And at that point, as we see David hit that point, we need to understand that hearts, that people, that understand that they have been forgiven, hearts and people that are truly committed to God, they they find expression for their gratefulness and commitment. So the last thing in this psalm, if you will, to take away, well, it's not quite the last thing. Last thing in this section is that we can't be convicted of sin. We can't confess our sin we can't ask for God's restoration without then also following through with our dedication to God. And that that dedication to God, that gratefulness for our forgiveness, that commitment now in our lives has to find outlet for God in our lives as we take on the mission that God has given us. We see, I'm assuming here, that David's been on a bit of a hiatus for a while from his service to God. Because he's appealing now that God would restore that in his life. That he would be able to once again speak into the lives of people about God. So it would seem to me, I can't prove it, but from the text it looks like David's been MIA for a while on this maybe that he's been at a low point in his life. I wonder how many of us have been at a low point in our lives for maybe even longer than nine months as we haven't dealt with sin in our lives. as we haven't come to that point where we've recognized the significance of what sin does in removing me and separating me from God. And I'm cruising along doing life. I'm trying to address all of it on my own and I'm just doing my thing. But as a result of that, I've become ineffective 
unengaged, maybe even disinterested, in being a testimony for God to the world around me. This morning, as we read this psalm, we do well to understand that when I understand, that when we know the significance of sin, then we recognize the significance of the forgiveness that's been afforded to us. And I can't go on understanding that forgiveness without then finding a way to demonstrate my thankfulness to God in my obedience to Him, through my obedience to Him. You know, it's interesting that we're doing this psalm this morning. And at at this time when we're coming out of COVID, let me just tell you some things that maybe you don't know. We've had more visitors coming to the church over the last three months, starting in May, even before the, the sanctions were lifted. May, June, and July, we've had all these visitors, more than usual, coming to the church this, over this time. I don't know where they're coming to us from. I think there's more visitors here today. And by the way, thanks for coming. We're excited to have you. We've got these visitors that are coming. And every visitor to FBC is a gift to us from God. Where we have this opportunity then to help share with them, help them know and understand God, to help them grow in their lives, in their faith. But what that means then is that we need people, our people, our church family helping pull. So as we come to this psalm this morning, this isn't a guilt trip. This is just the text. I'd encourage you, where are you at in demonstrating your thankfulness to God for the forgiveness that he's given you for your sin? And it doesn't just play out at church. I'm not trying to say that it does. It plays out in our personal lives. It plays out in our work lives. It plays out in our community life, but it also plays out in our church life. And I pray that as we deal with our sin, as we address that, that we would be dedicated, rededicated to following God and serving Him and finding outlets and expressions of that where we can be a testimony, where we can be a part of the process of helping others find God as well. Lastly, quickly verse 18 may it please you to prosper Zion to build up the walls of Jerusalem then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole then bulls will be offered on your altar now the last two verses of this psalm are a real definite departure from the rest of the psalm and there are different thoughts as to what's going on here some would contend really quickly, some would contend that these last two verses were just added later. At a time when the people, more generally in the uh, the children of Israel, were coming back to God. And so hence they were added to reflect that. 
There's also a contention, and I tend to fall into this category for what it's worth, that this was a recognition of the way that the state of the king impacted and influenced the state of the kingdom. And so as I read the psalm, I don't think it was added later. I think that this was actually there. And it was a reflection of the way that David then now influenced his kingdom. And either way, it is an appeal for God to work more generally and to build and spiritually mature his people. Any which way you look at it. That's the bottom line. But as I think about it in terms of the king, we don't have kings today. So you and I can't relate on that level. And there's different levels maybe that we can relate. Maybe you can see this and you can see it in different respects. But there's one respect that just stands out to me, to me so clearly. And that's for us as parents and grandparents. The state of you as a parent, as a mother, the state of you as a father, the state of you as a grandfather, the state of you as a grandmother have an impact on your family. What's that impact today? Where are you at? Honestly. For the sake of Christ, as we read this passage, as we come to this last part of this psalm, I think we have to take stock. How am I doing today to influence my family for Christ? How am I doing today influencing my grandkids for Christ? David's calling us. Wherever you're at in your world, you have influence over some group. Exercise that today for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we come to this psalm, Lord, I know it's heavy. We don't like to deal with the topic of sin. We don't like to be reminded of our shortcomings. But Father, thank you You deal with us straight. You play straight with us. You put all the cards on the table. You don't leave anything in the dark that you're going to one day spring on us and say, well, yeah, but what about this? You, 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 you make it plain. You set it out for us to see and under, understand so that we can begin to deal with it now so that one day we don't have to fear that conversation later. So you are good. And I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that now as your people that we would. That in light of your goodness, in light of your willingness to forgive, in light of your compassion for us, your love over us, that we would come to you with those things that we've been holding back. Those little secret sins in our lives that we don't want to give up. For those violations in our lives that we are holding on to more dearly than we hold on to you. God, convict us. Help us to confess. Restore us. Help us to be rededicated. 
that we might be a testimony for you, that we might be restored to you and enjoy all that comes with that. For I ask these things now all in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. Next week, good news, we're going to look at a different prayer. We're going to look at the psalm or the prayer of Solomon for wisdom. And man, heaven only knows, I don't know about you, I need that. And so that's going to be so cool. And then really good news, after that, you're going to get a couple weeks of Bruce. You won't have to deal with me at all. So then things are looking bright going into the fall. So anyways, till then, have a really good week, and we'll see you next Sunday.